This is Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Mark. I'm Matt Henry. I'm Matt Miller. And I'm Lena. And we're going to continue talking about the Trinity today. But before we do, we know you love us and you love this podcast. And we love you too. And we love producing these podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) I prefer the word like. (laughs) I tolerate. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So give us some uh, shares, give us some reviews on iTunes as usual. If you really like this, share it with your friends, share it with your enemies, you know, bless those who persecute you, all that stuff. All right. Take it away, Matt. All right. So we, uh, so yeah, we are talking about still the doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Episode 672. Um, It always amazes me though, when I, I see, you know, yeah, we, we, I did a sermon on the doctrine of the Trinity. I'm like, a sermon? <laughs> I just don't know how that can be done. But yeah. It's got to be some well, type of podcast director. You know, <laughs> it's got to be some like, type of podcast like director like th- here. You just say he's kind of like a three-leaf clover. Let's pray. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> so, we, yeah, so we're going to talk about the Trinity. Um, and so we've, we've, uh, we've, as we've been walking through this doctrine, we've been focusing up to this point on God's essence or the fancy term, his ontology, that is his being. Um, And so, as we're saying now, there's another side to the discussion of the Trinity um, that many miss, but it's it's of great importance. And it's the idea of what the three persons of the Trinity or the Godhead do, that is their their works in time, space, and history. Um, And so that that first one, as we talked about, is the ontology of the Trinity. But this one, what what the the Godhead does is called the economy of the Trinity or, or the economics of the Trinity. Um, and so we, we've done one now on the economy of the father. Right. Um, and so today we're going to talk about the economics of the son. And some might wonder, you know, why are we even studying it this way? And, and there's actually a good reason it's because God is not revealed, uh, as what's known as a deistic God, meaning that God is merely present and responsible for creation, but, uh, not really involved or interested um, in in it, and to be frank, I think many of the people in the church today would fall under this idea of deism far more than they would like to uh, admit. Just just how they live their life and how they make their decisions, uh, there's just this lack of awareness of the presence of God. And so, anytime you diminish the reality of God's presence and interest in in our activities and our thoughts, uh, not just on an individual level but on a national level. What you're actually doing is functionally you're you're living in a deistic manner. God is somehow just not interested in these things. Um, so there's this great Latin term. Um, some of you would know of it, uh, quorum Deo, which just simply refers to the fact that every person is called to live with the understanding that all they are and do occurs in the presence of God. And it's to be uh, it is to be for His glory. It's to be living a life under His authority. And really, it's the essence of what Paul does in Romans chapter 1, where he brings a charge against all of humanity that though they know God, they do not give him thanks, they do not acknowledge him. Instead, they go and they begin to worship other things. And it's just this idea of an acknowledging of God and yet pushing them far, far away from their day-to-day living. So, when we talk about the works of the Trinity, what we're trying to show you is that the triune God is intimately involved in us, which we got into with the fatherhood. Yeah. Uh, so now we'll just talk about the son. Yeah. Um, 
first, what it, first of all, when it comes to the, the economics of the sun or the works of the sun, um, the reality is that many reject his deity because of the confusion actually between the two aspects of yeah. the Trinity, meaning yeah, yeah. his ontology and his economy. Um, so an example of this would be, for instance, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, they <laughs> Sorry, I'm having a hard time with my iPod stand here. Whatever this is called. <laughs> this is 2006. Oh, I'm 58. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm making a serious point here. Okay, right? why don't we just go back and talk about that again? <laughs> okay, so when, But when, don't cut it out. They need to know what you guys are dealing with. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll feel our pain right with us. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, when, when we do talk about the sun, though, many reject his deity because of a confusion between his, uh, uh, a right understanding between the economy, that is his being, and then his economics, that is what he does. So this is a prime example of this of the Jehovah's Witnesses, right? Um, they, they think God, or that Jesus is somehow less than God because of passages like John 8, where he does nothing on his own accord. Right. Um, in fact, Jesus there was speaking and he says, uh, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And so th there's a sense in the, which they understand because Jesus was being taught. He, yeah. He, he's being sent. Mm -hmm. Um, and he only does what the father desires. That somehow he's right. less than God. He does nothing in some out sense. of his own initiative. When it has yeah. nothing to do with his being, this is this is economics, right? This, this is, is what he what does. He does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another example would be debate over roles of men and women. Um, you know, in in the mixing of these categories, an example is is the, for instance, the egalitarian feminist view that to subordinate the roles and functions of a woman as compared to a man is to then diminish their essential being. Yeah. In other words, their ontology, right? Their essential being as bearers of God's image. Um, but complementarians, <clears throat> understanding both ontology and economy, they point to the fact that the son is equal with the father in his ontology, but simply has differing roles right. from the father. Um, and so the result of that is that many of the, those egalitarians reject the idea of the economy of the Trinity, at least in function. Huh. Wow. Right, right, right. And it's it's bigger than people realize. Yeah. We we keep talking, theology matters. Right. And I'm not always convinced that people <laughs> believe us uh, in our preaching and in our discipling and all, but everything is borne out. How we live and function, it's always borne out by what we truly understand and believe. Mm -hmm. yeah. So what we want to talk about, first of all, then, is just the subordination of the sun um, and just go through some passages and have people understand that one, you don't have to be ashamed of it or avoid it. It, it is what it is yeah. and it's what the scripture reveals. So let's just embrace it. So the first thing we need to know is that he did and does the will of the father. And so in John four, um, in fact, primarily, I think almost every passage will be out of uh, John, uh, at least initially. But in John four thirty four, he says, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So the work and the task of Jesus was to be doing what the Father had sent him to do. He, the Father defined for him his mission on earth. Mm -hmm. um, or John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 
Or again, in John 6, verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And it's kind of interesting because in the John 6 passage, it's actually a great uh, verse that also gives us great assurance of our salvation because the will of the Father is that he not lose any that he right. redeems. Yeah. Yeah. And so my, I'm safe because I know my, my Savior is the Son of God and that his job was given by the Father, and he does not fail in his job. Yeah. And part of that is to yeah. bring me to glory. Absolutely. Yeah. And if I can just make a comment on that John 5 passage um, where he says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. That word can is what messes with people. They're like, well, if he's sure. God, he can yeah, do. He's sovereign, yeah. Yeah, but if, if you make the distinction between his ontology and his economy, he's not saying I can't do it because of my essence, my right, being. Right, exactly. He's saying I can't do nothing. Why? Because I understand fully my role, role. Yeah. in the economics of the Trinity. And, and for that, he's constrained by that, and he's constrained himself by that. Yeah. And it gets so much into, you know, our roles as husbands, wives, children, yeah. citizens. I mean, there's totally. roles that God says we are to fulfill. And if we just look at the son and say he is our example, yeah. then we, we're, we're not going to resist him or say, well, somehow I'm diminished. We're just going to embrace him. And then to the fullest extent, that we can right do them, yeah. So, so it's not teaching that the son is somehow inferior to the father. In fact, it's used by the apostle John to show the equality of Jesus with the father. Um, only in the Western ears does this somehow sound um, negative. Even in eternity past, you'll see evidence of the son willingly in the subordinate position, and you see that in places like Ephesians four, where it's the father who chooses or elects those who will be in Christ. It's not Christ yeah. saying, I will save this person. Yeah. It's, it's the Father who says, I have chosen this person and he's gonna be in Christ. The same thing in John's gospel, the Father's one, and we already talked about, but who gave those to whom Jesus was to save. So very important. Yeah. Um, second, the idea of doing the will of the Father um, is seen as such an important concept to Jesus because it's showing his sinlessness and his per perfect obedience. Right. And so it's really big in his mind. But uh, interestingly then, it, it also connects, yeah. um, this concept connects to the lies of those who say they, they follow Christ now. Um, so in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, mm -hmm. but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. Um, so it's this idea of obedience. Um, in that, that subordinating of yourself under him rightfully. Matthew 20, 12 and verse 50, for whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. And so, and, right. Uh, well, I, that's, that's important though, because it, it's connecting to then how then we live yeah. Yeah. Uh, as those who claim to follow Christ. It's yeah. like- You model him. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, this subordination of the son to the father's will is also important in our insurance. So we got into that a little bit, but in John six thirty nine, it says, this is the will of him who sent me that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. And so for those who wish to say that one who has been saved by Christ can be lost, they have to first be able to explain then how Christ perfectly obeyed the will of the Father if he loses some yeah. who were given to him. That's it's, a very yeah, excellent yeah, I mean, observation. Right? I, and it boggles my mind because I've been around those debates way too many times and how they'll just twist and squirm, but mm -hmm. ultimately they deny the essence of what that passage says yeah. right out of our, our Lord's mouth. So yeah. all of this is important because you'll see this subordination 
in the text that we're now going to talk about. So yeah. understand the, the son is in a subordinate position in his works and duties and role to the father. And that that has no bearing upon his essence, his ontology. Right. Fully yeah, done. well, think about Philippians too. I mean, he humbled himself and obeyed to the point of death, but then the father raised him in glory and authority. Yeah. But what's and what's interesting about that passage is the, the, the reflexive pronoun, he humbled himself. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's not the father yeah. doing I mean, so so he's still fully God. Yeah. Right? And so this humbling is is a willful submission. It's not a a forced thing because yeah. you know he, he's somehow less than God or a sec, you know second God. And then on the other, along with that though, is at the end of it, he says that then God highly exalted him to right. a name above every other names, right? To the praise and glory of the, the Father. Father right. And so even there yeah. in in heaven right now, seated at the right hand of the Father, he is still in in a subordinate position, yeah. reflecting that glory upon his Father, which. The more you think about it, the more your mind just starts running with it, and it, it's exciting and also a little mind-boggling, in, yeah. at least for me. So, so the son is subordinate in terms of his role and his duties to the father. So we're just going to talk through some of the ways in which he's subordinate in right. terms of his works. Um, so the first one is is he is the creator of the universe. Um, John chapter one verse three: All things came into being through him, and apart from him came into being. Nothing came into being that has come into being. Well, pretty absolute statement. Unless you're a Jehovah's Witness and you add the word other. Right. Uh, Colossians 1.16, for by him, this is speaking of Christ, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Yeah, those last prepositions are really important, but... Everything was created through him, but also for him. Mm-hmm. And so when he looks at creation, this is for him. Um, yeah. And that's just neat. Uh, then he's also known as a preserver of the universe. Uh, again, in Colossians, now the next verse in one seventeen, He is before all things, and in him all <clears throat> things hold together. Or in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, In these last days has spoken, he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So now we're seeing the subordinate aspect. The father created the world through his son, yeah. uh, and he is a radiance of his, the father's glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So again, not only is he the creator of the universe, but he preserves us. And so the very fact that everything still works is simply because the son is still faithfully fulfilling his duties. He's not saying, I want to do something else. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that, that day we cease to exist. Right. Uh, a third category is he is the giver of life. And <clears throat> in, in, uh, we get this from John 5. That's a big passage. Yeah. It's worth reading. Yeah. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Okay, so there's a lot of things going on here. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I think I did two or three weeks when I preached. <laughs> did you? Yeah. That, John chapter 5, I call it the Father-Son talk. Because yeah. it just goes back and forth about the father and the son over and over again. Yeah. So, so here there, there's a subordination in that it's the father giving to the son judgment, right? Um, and so it's it's then in that judgment in which life comes, right? And so it, it's in that final verse there for for just as the father has life in himself, even so he gave to the son also to have life in himself. And he gave him then authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Right. But again, subordination. Yeah. Then then sin bearer. This is a big one because never does the Bible make the father the sin bearer. Uh, but that oneness Pentecostalism yeah. uh, is a heresy. And one of the reasons for it is because it makes the father <clears throat> literally mm -hmm. become the sin bearer. I think it's probably going to mess this up, but it's called Patrip. Passionism, yeah. or something like that. Close. Um, I'd have to have the word in front of me, but it's it's a ancient heresy that the Father is the one who actually was on the cross bearing away our sin. And it's because of this failure to understand the doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah. So in First Corinthians fifteen three, Paul says, "For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures." And then in First Peter two twenty four, and He Himself speaking of Christ bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. So he, another duty is the sin bearer. Yeah. Uh, next one, number five, uh, he's the redeemer. And what's interesting about though the idea of redeeming is that um, the concept or the idea behind the word is that it's talking about redeeming someone out of a slave market. Right historically. And so this is obviously the essence of what Jesus did to sinful humanity on the cross. But there's a few passages for this. First uh, Peter 1, 17 through 19. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So there it's, it's clear, um, Jesus being that precious spotless lamb, he's the one who's redeeming. He's doing this redeeming work, not the father, not the spirit, but the son. And then there's another passage in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. For consider your calling brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God. But by, doing, but by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Okay, so it's clear here. I mean, there's not the overt language of redemption, 
Um, but here it's the idea that Christ is our righteousness. Oh, there is redemption. Well, yeah, I don't, know, like, I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about, dude. It's right there <laughs> underlined. <laughs> leave, me, leave me alone. Um, <laughs> you're over there shivering in 70-degree weather. Yeah, it's, it's chilly out here. Um, but he, he is, Christ being the, the very wisdom of God, is, is he's doing a play on words there. Um, but he's also our righteousness. He is our sanctification, our, our means of being set apart and made holy, but also, obviously, our redemption. And, and there's so much in that, that one verse in verse 30 where it says, uh, but by his doing, the Father's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. This, this listing of things that Christ is. Um, when you hear the, the phrase wisdom from God, it, it, it's actually going back to Paul's point in verses 23 and 4, where the believer, the one the one Jesus Christ who is, fool, uh, um, who is foolish and a point of stumbling for the unbeliever is actually God's wisdom. Yeah. He's actually saying the very thing that the world sneers at and says, this is folly, this is foolishness, this makes no sense. God says, actually, it's my wisdom. Mm -hmm. right. um, and it's bound up in that person. Um, he, he, so he's three things uh, that he then describes. He says, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And so on judgment day, what shall you point to for your hope of righteousness? Is it going to be your efforts uh, to walk, the Christian walk? And I'm just thinking about our conversation earlier today, Matt, about that one person who is just being persecuted, yeah. literally being persecuted. You're not a Christian because you're not praying enough. You're not doing this enough. And um, and I know a lot of people beat themselves up because they, they're very much aware of their weakness and their failings mm -hmm. and uh, lack of faithfulness. But you'll never be at a point on Judgment Day to that. Um, yeah. What What is it? It's going to be, no, Christ is my righteousness. That That's that's my hope. It's, it's going to have to be proclaimed that. Or as you proceed through your life, walking in the steps of Christ, growing, in other words, in respect to your salvation, what will be the basis of your ability to be sanctified or to grow in holiness? Is it, again, going to be your power? Yeah. Is it your ability? Is it your efforts? No, it's always going to be the abiding presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who broke the power of sin and death. And so when you give an account as to why you're different and why your sin is no longer a factor in your life, and when you say that you have been saved and redeemed from your sin, what are you going to point to? Again, is it going to be your sacrifices, your prayers, your trials and hardships? No, it's going to be Christ, my Redeemer. Yeah. All of those things now become something that we can cling to, is that we have, we are now in Christ. So now these are ours, but they're ours because they're Christ, um, not because we somehow now worked hard enough to earn them. It's a, it's a yeah. good, good word. Yeah. There, is that, was that John Bunyan who had that famous, that conversion story where he's just, he's so racked with guilt and he said, he's just walking one day and it just struck him that he said, when I stand in the judgment, it's no longer my works, no longer my efforts, but he'll literally point to Christ and say, there is my righteousness. I, I don't know that story, but that would yeah. be one nice. of those guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just this total paradigm shift for him. Yeah, and because yeah. he grew up just living in a works-based yep. deal. Right, right. Um, and then there's one final passage, Hebrews 9, 11 through 12. Um, it says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. 
he entered the holy place once for all, having attained eternal redemption. And so it's just, again, a clear statement that one of the works of the Son is to redeem people. Yeah. In fact, for me, this is fun. Just I enjoy us reading just the scriptures because through these things because yeah. it just is, for me, just washes over me again. What a what an incredibly blessed people yeah. a Christian mm-hmm. the Christian people are and and if they can grab a hold of this they get so caught up in all of these things that aren't important mm-hmm. and they lose sight of Christ and mm-hmm. and they lose sight of what the father did i mean all yeah. of all of these works are because his father sent him to do these right. works and when you when you understand how precious the son is to the father yeah um, and you start doubting the sufficiency of his work um you're in a bad place. But when you truly understand who he is to the Father, um, you understand how safe you are there because this is what was given for you and sacrificed and offered for you, and you were truly redeemed. Now, it's probably not right to do, um, but if I were to say there's one aspect of our salvation that I think is most important, maybe it's better to say most helpful in our day-to-day living, it's the doctrine of being in Christ. Because because we're now no longer in Adam, which is sin, death, and destruction, we're now in the second Adam, Christ, all the things that are his becomes ours. So yeah. he, by his very character and nature, is eternal. So we now share in his eternal life. And all of these things are bound up in it. So when you look at uh, the baptism of Jesus. And he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And you're like, that's so neat. But if you'll grasp that because you are now in Christ, mm-hmm. you are beloved. Yeah. You're not beloved because you did something good or you're unusually holy today, Lena. I mean, you are beloved because you're in his son. You're and in the blood. Yeah, yeah you, there, there's not a better place to be. Mm-hmm. That is the height, his yeah. adoration. And he is well pleased with the son. And again, on Judgment Day, yeah. you're able to say, I, 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 ha- I have nothing to plead but Christ, and that's right. more than enough. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you 100%, though, that, that the idea of being in Christ or the doctrine of the union, our yeah. union with Christ, yeah. uh, is mo- I <laughs> now I feel weird saying it, but it's probably more important to the, in, in the mind of Paul than justification. I agree. I think Luther actually had it wrong that he believed that Romans is basically a treatise on justification by faith. Yeah. I appreciate what he did, and I thoroughly agree (laughs) with his overarching point, but I don't think that was the point of Romans. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so with that, yeah, we we should actually do (laughs) a a podcast one. one on just the the glory of being in Christ. That'd be that kind of fun. That would be my dad's number one podcast. Oh, really? <laughs> well, I, it's, I, I think it, it's balm to... Con <laughs> Campbell. Is that book he read that he loved? Oh, my gosh. What? I was just looking uh, at his library Con, today. Con Campbell's oh. book on union with Christ. Well, I, I just... I th- it's balm to a, a person who's just yeah. weary. It really uh, is. That, that they're, they're being assaulted in every way from humans as well as just that spiritual quality of the demonic warfare um, and they just wear wear out and and when you go back to that it gets you grounded again yeah and so all of that then comes to another really neat work that he does he gathers God's people and so in John 10 describing himself as the good shepherd he says even as a father knows me I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep I have other sheep and he's talking about Gentiles who are not yet 
in Christ, but these are the sheep he's talking. He says, which are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. And so here it's that picture that even today, we're going to be having our celebration service as a church. We're going to be doing several baptisms. And every one of those, even though every one of their stories is different, they're all the same. Right. There came a point where their faith rested in Christ alone. And not they, they weren't aware of it, but on that day they believed it was just Christ gathering another one of a sheep. Yeah. And again, that's very humbling. Or in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, talking of Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. So there's that redemption language. And to purify for himself a people for his own. A purpose, uh, this is the purpose of his redeeming work. He redeemed us so that he could make them, no longer are we slaves to Satan or our sin, we're now his people. We are a possession zealous for good deeds. So he is redeeming us and then drawing us into himself um, for his own purposes. Yeah. Um, seventh, Christ is an example to God's people. In John 13, 15, he's speaking to his disciples. He says, for I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Um, or in 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16, Paul there is speaking and he says, it's a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason, I found mercy so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. That's a profound statement. But yeah. but Paul sees here his entire life in the light of God's mercy. Um, and, and in the work of Christ, there's a promise of, of full forgiveness and salvation, even for the greatest of sinners. And Paul knew this. Um, notice Paul says, um, I am. This, this sinner. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, foremost of all a sinner, not I was, right? So he even understands himself, present tense, this is me. I actually had a debate with my father over this. Really? Yeah, uh, and I appreciated the mindset of what he had over it, but he was like, I'm not a sinner now. Christ took my sin, and in Christ, I, I'm not a sinner, and I don't view myself that way. And and I, and I as he was talking, I really, really appreciated the what his point was. Yeah. And, and he was right in one way, but I did say, uh, you know, Dad, and I just took him to this passage, and I point out that in Paul's mind, he was still, uh, if you, he only viewed himself all by himself, he is still the chief sinner. Right, right. Um, he, he would never escape that, but that's, but then he would right. look to his perfect redeemer. So, yeah. Um, so, so in Paul's mind, his depravity, according to this statement, was ever before him. Um, and so that's why he gloried in the cross on a daily basis. His salvation was not about him, but rather about Christ and Christ's work. Um, and, and the purpose of that, the purpose of his salvation was so that um, he might be an example of the patience of God toward unbelievers who are perhaps afraid that God would not forgive them of their sins. Right, right. I mean, you know, yeah, I, I, can you imagine stuck in the cell yeah. with him? And, and you're going on about, well, you, I did this and this. And he's like, let me tell you my life. And he just lays it all out. And he's like, no, no, no. He says, I'm the chief of sinners. You're not going to one-up me. And, and now let me tell you about the great Savior. So yeah. Yeah. then there's one more, I think, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, First Peter 2, 18 through 21. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, 
not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Again. Oh, that is not popular. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what, though? This passage, I have, I, I have probably counseled people over my time as a pastor hundreds of times in this passage because there's people who are trapped in their sin they've, or they've done a sinful act, they've been caught, the consequences are on them, and they somehow think that it's praiseworthy that they're enduring their consequences. And I'm like, yeah. dude, you earned it. You're supposed, yeah, and you, and you need to just shut up and endure them. There's no nothing here to pray be praiseworthy that you're enduring your your suffering there. It's when you have done nothing wrong, you've honored the Lord, you've been a faithful Christian, and now you're suffering yeah. and you bear up under it. But but the only way you can do it then is by looking at your Lord. Yeah. Lord yeah. He's your example. I've often thought about that passage. Is it is it First Corinthians fifteen? If, if Christ is not raised from the dead, we are of all men most to be pitied. Yeah. And I thought, I don't think you're going to be pitied because you believed in a resurrected Christ. No. I think you're being pitied because your life. Yeah, it's completely. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you're, you're a walking piece of folly to the world. Yeah. You know, why would you endure what you endure in order to honor God if you didn't believe in certain things? Yeah. And so here, you're, you're an example now. You're, right. You're, you're doing what he did. Then another uh, duty he does is he is our advocate, mediator, and intercessor. So in 1 John 2, 1, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's a very clear statement. He's like, I'm, I'm teaching you these things because you should not be sinning. And if anyone sins, he then immediately adds, <laughs> by, the uh, by the way, you're going to. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, um, or Romans 8, 33 and 4. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus, uh, or Christ Jesus, is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of, the, of God, who also intercedes. So he's our advocate, he's our intercessor. And then in 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God, one mediator, also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Which, that one alone is the one that always kills me in the Roman Catholic theology that we somehow need Mary. Yeah. Yeah. She's got to be our mediator between us and the son because co-mediatrix. Yeah. Um, and it's like, boy, that's just it's blasphemy, I believe. Whenever I read that verse now, I just have that ghost ship yes. song in my mind. Yeah, ghost ship. I, yeah. If you don't know who they are, Look go to up. YouTube and then buy all their albums. My favorite band. I love them. Or Spotify, you know, if you're not. I don't even, 60. I have yet to get Spotify work for me. If you really you guys love all an left. artist, no, if you really love an artist, you need to buy something from them on Bandcamp or something because Spotify I, yes. gyps them. Well, Lena posts, here's our songs, and she gives a Spotify list, and I click, and I get nothing. 30 seconds. I, I'm, I'm like, I don't know how, and I, I just get confused. Okay. So I go to my programs that I know how they that, work. That girl. Shut up. <laughs> Number nine, he is building his church. Uh, Matthew 16, 18, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not 
overpower it. Um, and it also, it's because of that responsibility, the Bible also declares de facto that he is the head of the body. Right. And then he's the judge of the world, for not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. So he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. That's John 5, 22 and 23. Lenny, you want to read uh, the last one, 2 Timothy? I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is, the, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, rebuke exhort with great patience and instruction. I love that passage. I mean, that's what we do every week. That's my first sermon in seminary. I preached really? that text. Well, we're going to be going back to Ethiopia, and we're going to camp on this for our whole time there. Of Yeah, we are. Yeah. You know, it's not healing. It's not prophetic voices. It's not yeah. music. It's nothing. I mean, the number one task is to preach the Word, yeah. uh, which kills me because, you know, then we have churches doing at the movies. And it said, right? We're going to preach. <laughs> I just had to get it in there. <laughs> I have to. I, I just can't believe it. I just look at it, and I'm like, there's another church doing at the movies. And I'm like, why don't you just stop showing film clicks, clicks, uh, clips and then giving some vague religious statements yep. and just open up the Bible. And yep. if they are truly God's people, the Spirit of God will witness to them yep. that this is, this is food. Just preach the word. Shut up. And, and it's like in season, out of season. Instead, we're like, well, this really, yeah. it's the number one draw. For many churches, they get their most attendance through something as asinine as yeah. at the movies. And I'm like, You've got, you, you should be ashamed. And yet people are flocking. It's like something is inherently wrong because God's people need to hear the word. And even if they don't want to hear it, Paul's answer is preach the preach word. Anyway. Just preach it. If in doubt, preach the word. And, that, and that's the apostolic charge. Yeah. Right. I, I solemnly charge you, and then just how he loads it up. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. So why is he throwing the judging of the living and the dead? Right. <laughs> uh, because eternal life's at stake. Yeah. yeah. Right. With the preaching of the word, and by his appearing in his kingdom, this is a guaranteed deal. Preach the word, you know. And it's just if if you as a pastor could feel the weight and the burden of that. But and that's exactly something what, like ha- movies. Seems very. I don't. Innovative. I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. Or a little puppet thing. Oh, we're going to do sock puppets today. You know. Ah, it just kills me. Um, yeah. These men will be judged by Christ on the faithfulness they are to the Word, and there's no two ways about it. It's just. It's a shame. So, to bring it all to a close, um, as we said the last time on the works of the Father, that all the works of the Father display His grace in the same way. I would argue that so too with the Son, and I hope it's already been evident, but we see the beauty of that grace when we remember that though he was God, that being full of grace, he emptied himself of his glory and became a man to die for us. Uh, We see the grace of Christ as we enjoy the glories and majesty of nature, when we breathe deeply of uh, clean air, when we get excited seeing a wild animal, when we smile at the first hints of spring, By, by grace, he created it with beauty and splendor, and he holds it together. Um, We see the grace of Christ when he became cursed for us, when he took upon himself our sins and bore them fully away. 
and we see his grace when we look at the tenderness of his speaking and caring for the people in need. We see grace when we finally come to rest in the full and complete work of, of Jesus. No longer are we having to strive, no longer seeking to be good enough, no longer trying to please God, but rather coming to Christ and just resting in him. So that is grace. And so that's why Paul says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And therefore, the only thing that a Christian can truly boast in is in the Lord. I hope this was helpful. Like, comment, share. Yes. Give us some feedback.